天灾难，喝完了这杯清清的小菜，真是难得几回再不敢喝。来来来，喝完了这杯再说吧。Back to the beautiful toilet. You thought I was out of the game, but I'm not. I'm back. Here to bother you more. And uh, this time, I have a long-awaited guest uh, with whom I recorded some six months ago, but lost the file unfortunately due to a technical snafu. Um, nonetheless, I'm really glad that he's given me his time to sit with me here today. The uh, acclaimed writer Calvin Atwood, the only writer I know who's uh, Who can, whose writing can start as a personal memoir about the death of a father and evolve into a pornographic fan fiction about the George Walker Bush family, and a true original uh, in the scene. So I'm so glad to have you here once again. Thank you, Nick. Very generous. Oh, the pleasure's all mine. So.、Um, In looking back on your work and reassessing it, like、uh, um, in preparation for this、uh, second recording of your beautiful toilet,、um, I was struck by by both like the consistency in terms of like thematic subject matter and voice, but also in terms of like the range of like different styles and just like this very like、uh, open like experimental approach to、uh, to fiction in your work.、Um, You know, of course, there are like consistent themes that seem to emerge a lot. Of, of course, like the the drags of addiction and,、um, and, you know,、uh, of sexual libido, also like strained relationships with male authority figures and、um, 
And the voice in particular seems like very consistent. I noticed that. And one that I can kind of relate to, too, that like veers from, you know, moments of pathetic, like self-flagellation and self-deprecation to, um, to like these delusions of grandeur, you know, sometimes within the same paragraph or within the same sentence, even. Um, I, I was especially drawn to in your most recent work, which you published on expat, um, eager to help, which you told me is like part of a series uh, that's forthcoming. But that uh, that paragraph in particular, where you talk about your uh, well, I, I mean, I, I use you to refer to the narrator, but your uh, your AA uh, what was the word mentor or um, sponsor. Yeah, yeah. In uh in Los Angeles, who tells you not, you know, that that empires are built on humility. And as humility you're reminding empires. Yeah, yeah. And as you're reminding yourself of that, you're thinking about all the the, the if you had just remembered that, all the glorious things you would have achieved. <laughs> Which was a <laughs> master stroke. Irony I thought. there, I guess, right? What's that? There's some kind of irony there, I guess. Uh-huh. But it, I don't know. I mean, like all of this is very relatable to me. Like the, the stories are told by this like libidinal creature, barely in control of his like carnal appetites at times, like constantly like, you know, thinking about sex or, you know, in certain cases, like thinking about substances um, and just like kind or of networking. Yeah. Or networking or like conjecturing these like bizarre um, contingencies and getting really attached to them. So I don't know. Uh, what, what do you think it is that inspires uh, that particular uh, that particular tone throughout these stories? I mean, I think a lot of my work is drawn from um, this, probably this similar to the stage of life that that you're in now, Nick. Um, mm -hmm. My my twenties, um, which were miserable, and I was completely lost and afflicted and feeling like um you know that it was too late for me that i was doomed mm -hmm. um and that it it was um i had i had screwed up too bad mm -hmm. and, that, and that there was no there was no redemption for me there would be no grace um and uh which was is completely absurd. I mean, as far as like, uh, th there's nothing in my life that that would lead me to believe that you know um, I was on track ever mm -hmm. in, any, in any conventional sense. I mean, I think, I mean, I I grew up in a family where you know education was greatly valued. Mm -hmm. And um, I wasn't able to stay in college. You know, I flunked out multiple times and uh, found myself doing, you know, the, what I saw is, you know, maybe one notch above working as a, as a male prostitute. And that was, uh, you know, working in the service industry. Mm -hmm. And... Um, it uh i you know i i don't know what i thought i mean i guess i thought that if 
if I had friends who I had gone to college with who, you know, had completed in four years and were, you know, mm -hmm. none of them were necessarily in a position that I, I mean, pretty much everyone I know from college is like, I mean, I'm from the Midwest. Mm -hmm. Are they, you know, they work in sales or some kind of corporate jobs um, or attorneys, things like that. I, I didn't really know anyone in the arts, um, but um, pretty much whatever you had, I wanted, you know, like mm -hmm. whatever anyone else's circumstances always seemed better than my own. And mm -hmm. I, I envied everyone. Mm -hmm. Um Except for, you know, like maybe the homeless, you know, um, mm -hmm. that I didn't envy the people that were completely destitute. Mm -hmm. But um, I, uh, but I was, uh, I don't know. I don't know. I mean, alcoholism is a complicated thing. I, mm -hmm. I don't know why I couldn't get my drinking under control. I, um, I think one part of it is, you know, I came to drinking um, during a, a stage in my life where there was a lot of chaos and um, and it it offered a great deal of relief for me mm -hmm. during that time. And um, I think I just I continue to drink excessively um, on a daily basis. And I would always tell myself that, you know, that wasn't really like an excuse, you know, like for my failure, I, I kind of saw myself as someone who was just too big of a pussy, you know, uh -huh. to get any work done hung over. Right. Um, if I could just get things done hung over, I would, all my problems would be solved. And maybe that's true. I mean, that might've been true. Mm -hmm. um, I guess in some ways I hadn't, I'm now talking about, by get things done, I mean writing. And, um, mm -hmm. cause I did call myself a writer when I was in my twenties and uh -huh. I lived in Los Angeles in my twenties as well. And, um, mm -hmm. but I wasn't writing and, um, I mean, I would write some, I would really just, I was a waiter at a restaurant and I worked there part-time and, you know, my parents paid for half of my rent mm -hmm. and I had to come up with the other half. Mm -hmm. And I didn't have a car. Um, I walked to work. So all I really had to do was come up with, my rent was unbelievably cheap. It was like $900 a month or something. I lived alone. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. I had to come up with, you know, $450 a week or something. Mm -hmm. And uh, that wasn't, I worked at a, like a fancy hotel and I, I actually made a lot of money as a waiter. Mm -hmm. um, I became obsessed also with as much as I hated uh, waiting tables. Um, I loved it. I mean, it's, it's such an, such all encompassing work. 
uh, especially if you're working somewhere that's that's really busy, right? Mm-hmm. Um, it's you never have a moment. There's not really any time for reflection, right? Or for self-loathing. It's kind of just you know one disaster after the next, and mm-hmm. it's wonderful in that way. Um, oh yeah. But so I did that, and um, and then when I quit drinking, I basically quit working, and uh, I haven't really worked a full time job um, since. But which is hard, which is a hard way to live. Um, but I've managed to, uh, you know pull it off i mean i don't pull it off i mean you definitely pay a price and uh i'm i'm you know i'm committed to this to writing i guess um (laughs) so that's that's the i'm willing to like be a loser i guess or not have a career and in in exchange for not having a career as a writer (laughs) (laughs) Well, I, I totally, I, I at least understand a sliver of what you're talking about, you know, seeing as how I haven't released a podcast in five months, haven't published anything in even longer, like, you know, and, uh, and so I yeah. feel like, you know, that's part of the reason why I feel like that urgency to do this. Um, but, um, something, right? yeah, no, and it's like, um, I don't know, like, I felt like I, you know, I've squandered a lot of momentum recently that I've been kind of spinning my wheels and, uh, and yeah, I also don't have much of a career to speak of. I'm also unemployed for uh, listeners of the podcast. Uh, I'll basically do anything. I'll suck a crackhead stick if I have to, you know, uh, <laughs> but um, just, uh, just putting that out there. But um, I don't know, I guess uh, I wonder now, like, <clears throat> I mean, your writing does seem to be finding an audience, uh, you know, slowly but surely, you you know, I'm not your first podcast, of course, and, and, uh, you're, uh, you know, you're very well received at expat and, um, and so, and so I just wonder like, um, and I think you have like a very, uh, correctly like high estimation of your own merit too, that, um, you know, there's no, you know, no real virtue and like false humility, but, um, and so that, you know, it, it makes sense to feel burned by that, but does that give you any, uh, uh, consolation or like peace about you know what you perceive as the loss of your 20s and like the creative potential that that represented to like drinking and substances I mean you have to have something to write about I mm-hmm. guess it seems mm-hmm. like most people do mm-hmm. they have something to write about mm-hmm. and Whatever that something is, they're generally not writing while it's happening because it's too difficult. Their life is too difficult, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, I guess I had that time, you know? I had a period of time like that and where I was like, uh, you know, especially lost and um a lot of my work is from that 
I mean, a lot of my stories are take place in LA and have to do with that. And that's what I first started. I started writing like, um, I guess more seriously, um, after I was, had been sober for a couple of years and, mm -hmm. uh, by sober, I mean, you know, not, not drinking at all. And, um, that was, uh, I was, I mean, at that point, I was like 33. I mean, I had a lot of reason to like, feel like I was completely fucked, you know? Um, I didn't have any education. I didn't have any work experience. I just had, you know, what, 11 and 12 years of, you know, living kind of on the margins of society. Mm -hmm. And, um, but I started, um, I mean, the truth is that I started going to AA and that changed my life. I mean, and because I met people with a similar story as mine and I thought I was like, I don't know why I thought this. I mean, but I thought I was like, you know, uh, terminally unique or something. I thought I was like more fucked than anybody else uh -huh. ever. And more foolish and more and also smarter than everybody else, too. Right. Mm -hmm. um, and I realized that um, there's lots of people like that, mm -hmm. and especially in in um, Hollywood. And. So I just took it, I just started taking it easier on myself, I think once also once I quit. You know, the act of drinking excessively is really a suicide you know it's really a slow suicide mm -hmm. and once you stop killing yourself or trying to trying to kill yourself or destroy yourself you know you have to learn i mean you have to kind of learn new behaviors i guess and i started being a lot kinder to myself and developed a lot more just self-love and and, you know, more like empathy, right? For myself and for my story and for my own narrative. And uh -huh. a lot of that came from like, you know, working with a sponsor and doing things like that. And mm -hmm. I started to learn that the horrible things about my life or the things that like I couldn't talk about or felt so much shame about, like, those were actually kind of the things that made me great um, mm -hmm. and made me also of use to other people. Um, and I mean, that's ultimately what I want in my art and in my life is to be of service to other people mm -hmm. um, and to help people to feel less alone. Mm -hmm. Um, so, I mean, it's not like I like sit down and I'm like to write where I'm like, what can I construct that will help people feel less alone? Mm -hmm. But ideally that's, 
the experience I'd like people to have. Um, mm -hmm. But I mean, obviously my writing is not for everybody. So, you know. No, but the, I mean, I don't know, like these, you know, it's not like this is, is like, these are crowd pleasers too. Like, you know, there's a br very broad appeal. Like you can read this at a reading and pretty much everyone will laugh out loud and like feel for the characters. Like I, um, I, th I feel like there is like a lot of, uh, you know, popular appeal. I mean, just because it's not uh, absorbed into like the Black Lives Matter industrial complex or, you know, uh, it doesn't mean that there's not a, that it doesn't, it, that it's, you know, I'm sure it's not for literally everyone. I mean, there's some parts that are very extreme or, uh, um, or, uh, you know, sorted, but, but I think that that, that you carry a lot of that just with the humor and, um, and the humanity of it, you know? Well, thank you, Nick. The, um, I mean, I was interested somewhat in, uh, you know, talking more in detail about certain stories. Um, I don't really have a good chronology of these. I guess um, broadly, you know, I was drawn to how there are certain details that seem very particular. And I was wondering, like, how much of this is, like, autobiographical or how much of this is, like, based on experience or others, just, like, pure imagination like uh, down to, you know, like the the licorice. And I think the, my edition is titled The Last Battle, but I believe you published it as yeah. Coffee with My Grandfather, right? In, Coffee with Grandfather? Yeah, and is that an Apocalypse Confidential? Yeah, that one was in, in AC. Ah, lo love, uh, love AC. Shout out to Apocalypse Confidential. Yeah, um, shout out to uh, Dawson, right? uh is he the prose editor there blower uh yeah i i know that blower geist is like the, the chief editor right so much mystery right uh -huh. i i know i know that tom will max? is the poetry shout editor. Out to max? true shout out to brendan and uh tom will especially because he's been such a big proponent of the beautiful toilet you know reliably retweets i don't uh, know tom but i've heard so many great things ah uh, yes um, he's a poetry editor right Right, yeah, and he's uh, you know, very often retweets a beautiful toilet post. So very grateful. You know, he's really very respected in a lot of poetry circles. It doesn't surprise me at all. I've uh, I've only read uh, his his uh, chapbook song uh, sonnet cycle, but um, but it makes it's very technical, and you know, it makes a lot of sense to me that it would be well acclaimed. Did you know him before he came to be affiliated with Apocalypse Confidential? No, not at all. Now, um, have you appeared on Tales from the Mall? No, no, I uh, I have not. Although many of my friends have. Did you know it's no? It's sadly it's it's no longer. I did. Anymore. I did. I know it's it's a pity. Like uh, that and the the isolation chamber, but you know, live fast, die young. It it was a it had a good run, and uh, you know. A lot of uh, a lot of interesting conversations. So, yeah, for sure, um, it's got to be hard to let things go. Yeah, no, I mean, I have like you know, I'm digressing a little bit, but I only intend to do 99 episodes of the Beautiful Toilet, of which I'm a little less than a third of the way there. So, ah, but I, I feel like it's you know, it's good to have things that are finite that don't uh, outstay their welcome. 
but nonetheless, um, to get back to your work, um, yeah. So you have this story about uh, about your experience in this bizarre, rehab. like military rehab facility, um, you know, lorded over by this like ambiguously, possibly, uh, uh, you know, sexually abusive lieutenant um, uh, who's obsessed with liquor. You're going to traffic me. Uh huh. Yeah. And me, uh, right. Yeah. And like his obsession with licorice and, uh, you know, that like licorice has become like this, like synecdoche for his power and like authority within the institution. And you you learned that in prison. Uh huh. And you as like this fresh faced, you know, you you know, you kind of describe, you know, the characters will describe this narrator as like effete and like, you know, smooth shaven. And they're all like these hirsute ex-military, like (laughs) ex-junkie guys. Um, but I was just wondering, like, uh, you know, it, how much your personal experiences factor into that. Um, oh, that's a bold question, Nick, to ask a writer. I, you don't have to answer, of course. You, you know, I don't obligate you to. Uh, but, I, you know, I don't expect it. It's just because. I, I, uh, of... You know, I've been I've been to rehab before um, uh-huh. a couple times. And mm-hmm. uh, the. I went to I went to some like low end rehab one time and uh-huh. uh I mean nothing like this happened there. I mean I figure the like more, the uh, the more uh, they were actually very not kind to me, I remember uh-huh. and uh-huh. good to me and patient mm-hmm. with me. Mm-hmm. Um I think I was just very arrogant and thought myself better than everyone there. Mm-hmm. Um I can kind of be, I can really be in an, I was just an enormous snob, to be honest. Mm-hmm. And, um, but I don't know how I got on that whole licorice kick or how that, or where that came from, or the whole character, the character of the rehab. Uh-huh. You know, the guy who was, who was actually the, the director of that rehab that it's loosely based on, um, he was a, a Vietnam vet and hmm. um, he did, uh, you know, he took his work seriously mm-hmm. and it wasn't like some sleazy rehab. Like it was like a serious place. Like if you didn't do this stuff, like if you didn't go to like your groups, all you do in rehab is go to group all fucking day which is like group therapy Mm -hmm. but you know if you slacked off if you like stayed if you wouldn't get out of bed you know or people always do bullshit like that right or they like steal stuff they steal someone's Mm -hmm. cigarettes or you know Uh he would you know he would kick you out or whatever but um Mm -hmm. i i think i based i don't know where i got all the licorice shit from you know i used to um I had like a a version of that book, the like the you know whatever zine I guess. Um, mm-hmm. I hate that fucking thing zine, but uh, yeah, or like a pamphlet. I always say pamphlet. I don't know if that's better or worse. I always tell people like, I'm just doing this because no one will publish me. You mm-hmm. know, like I mean, this isn't it's... like this isn't like my kick. You know. No, but like it's a, it's a visual artist. 
It's like I'm a totally novel aware. means of, uh, you know, uh, trying to give yourself a platform. I mean, you know, there's like the the kind of online vanity press grind, uh, you know, Amazon self-publishing. But this is, I think, altogether more dignified. Um, I think that people. I don't fucking know, but. And I don't even know if I really care, but. I think people do read it more. Like if you give oh, yeah. people a book, I don't know why I say that because people give me zines or any kind of shit like that. I never read it, but uh-huh. um, you would think I would be generous to people who are in my circumstances, but I'm not at all. Actually, I wanted nothing to do with them. I'm uh-huh. looking, you know, to upgrade. Well, I, I get it because, you know, um, my, you know, it was my brother that talked me into like self-publishing my book like two years ago, uh, uh, two, well, two and a half years ago now, where it was the beginning of the coronavirus. And he knew that I had had this manuscript that I'd wanted to, to turn into a book for a while. Um, and he's like, oh, did you hear about Amazon self-publishing? And there was like much, I think even like that recently, there was a much greater stigma around that kind of thing at the time. But I just figured, you know, it was coronavirus. It was better to be proactive and than to rest on my laurels, even if, you know, I realized it might be a little cringe or, uh, you know, it could flop. It could be embarrassing. But I mean, I I don't really, uh, I don't know. I, I, I don't regret it I just it at have all. to get this stuff out there. Like sometimes... Some of these stories were just, and that's part of the reason I didn't, I don't usually sell them. I just give them to people. Um, mm-hmm. Right. Well, I mean, it's also like, you know, it, I, it makes sense to me that people would read them more because, I mean, you know, it's like a personal gift from you to your interlocutor. It's like handmade. So there's like care to it. And you kind of get the sense that, um you know, you get the sense, like you, you feel a, a certain level of gratitude for, for something. It feels thoughtful. And also, um, you know, maybe you're like drunk and your phone's dead on the subway and you're like, you know, just, uh, you know, like, oh, let me check this out. And then, you know, it's good, good just because once you get hooked on it, like, you know, you know. If I also you- hate journals. Like, it's, I'm pissed that like, I don't get published everywhere I want to publish. But then mm-hmm. like, Truth be told, like, I hate journals, you know, like, I don't even want to, I only want my own book, you know, I don't want to be on it in a fucking journal with all kinds of fags, you know, like, just like, I don't want my work even affiliated with, with any of the things that I read in these well-known journals. But Mm -hmm. on the other hand, like, I'd fucking kill like, you know, a puppy to get in one, you know? Um, Mm -hmm. So... I mean, I guess, I guess when I make the book myself, it's like its own standalone thing, which is nice. Mm-hmm. I mean, all that, I mean, I don't want to say like, hey, if anyone who's listening to this wants to publish my stories, that's fine with me. You contact uh-huh. me, you know, like, uh-huh. I mean, not anyone, obviously, but you know. Um, I do have some, you know, standards, mm-hmm. but, uh, I don't try that. I don't try like I used to, to get published all the time though. Like in mm-hmm. journals, and stuff. I don't query people or, you know, mm-hmm. I'm just kind of working on my own writing and mm-hmm. that's sort of it. 
Um, you get too obsessed with like short term hits, you know, right? Like highs, which they do work, like little publishings here and there. Oh, yeah. And then you become like a grunt or something for it. Mm-hmm. And uh, you lose like sense of like, it's almost like you get caught in the algorithm or something of it. Mm-hmm. And you kind of lose like a larger scale. I mean, I think that, um, I don't know, it's just important to be proactive. Like everyone has the idea that they're like Emily Dickens or whatever, and that after they die, they can, you know, then th- what they've been sitting on will finally find an audience. But but just like being proactive and putting yourself out there in any form is uh, a fruitful approach, you know? There have to be writers who fake their own death, right? <laughs> yeah. Think that that will, uh-huh. that will but, do it for them. I don't know. I mean, in this age, I don't know how uh, how effective that would be because really, know, if somebody if you kill yourself in like real grand fashion, I feel like people kind of you know you definitely get some press you wouldn't normally get. Sure, but like it's a constant fight to stay relevant. So what? Like people would be talking about like the dead writer on the timeline for a week and then like just like vanish into the, the you know the the whole legacy vanishes into the ether because it's all like you know disposable. But I'm married though because I have my spouse. That's she'll true. Be, you know, she'll slowly release my work, right? Uh-huh. I've already you, given her instructions well, on all this. Oh well, that's very thoughtful of you. I'm glad. <laughs> I'm glad. That, I'm glad you're prepared for the worst. But um, yeah, I'm not okay with her like moving on. You know? Uh-huh. No, no, me neither. I, you know, I, I like the steward. No, I believe in like the, you know, my, my vision is much more akin to like the Hindu custom of like the brides oh, throwing oh, themselves yeah. on the funeral pyre. That's uh, a. <laughs> uh, I hear that's back. Oh, really? Yeah. It's really, it's no, really I, I, actually, I actually uh, disavow that for the record. You know, that was a little joke. <laughs> that was a little jokey joke. I, uh, I don't actually want my wife or girlfriend to, um, to incinerate herself upon the flames of my dead body. Well, it's not up to you, Nick. It's her choice ultimately anyway. That's true. That's true. It's her body, right. her choice. Yeah. Yeah. But, um, yeah, I don't know. But that doesn't mean I would necessarily want her to move on. Um, with that said, um, you know, it's not just like the licorice, though. Like, it's even like the way that the military man speaks or, um, you know, your character, your your characterization of Steve and, um, and grandfather's condoms. It feels like someone I know, you know. That's a great story, huh? Oh, I love it. Yeah, no, it's, you know, you read that. No, at, nobody, uh, nobody will publish that story. I've that surprises me almost for so long. Really? Yeah. Nobody find, wants my grandfather's condoms. I find that hard to believe because I don't know. I mean, you read it at the uh, at the expat event. What was it last November? No, it would have been last yeah. summer. That's what why I read it. And uh, I mean, it brought down the house. You know, I think it was really like uh, by far like the crowd favorite of uh, of the night. Yeah, I know. <laughs> but uh so yes yeah, you know, i love you know i love reading uh-huh it, really nothing i mean i feel like in order to 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 read a lot in this town you have to like hate yourself and hate reading and then, <laughs> and then people will want you to read all over the place right oh yeah to, no you have to like not it. show up or like <laughs> or you just have to be like an e-girl with an only fans or show up wasted uh-huh. or some bullshit right that's oh, yeah. how you get, that's how you get a lot of readings in this town 
Yeah, um, I've only I've done two. Like it, no one wants you. Uh huh. I've done two. I really like it, but um, what was it? It was uh, how many have you done more than one? Just or was that your debut? No, I've done other readings. Um, uh huh. I've done uh, just stuff like more academic type, like sponsored by schools and um. Mm-hmm. I uh, when I lived in LA, I did some. I did some readings, mm-hmm. um, but uh, I hate going to readings. I mean, I go to them, but I fucking hate it. You know, like mm-hmm. I don't know why. I mean, I'm hosting one actually. Oh right, this. yes, yeah. yes. I uh, I heard a preview of a uh, of a friend of the pod, uh, Phoebe's. Uh reading from that for, that she has planned for that so i'm hoping these readers will you know they seem like people who are who are not coy bitches you know they actually have something to say i mean uh-huh. if you have something to say you actually want to read if you have nothing to say of course you don't want to read right oh uh-huh, yeah it's embarrassing to have nothing to say you feel like an imposter because uh-huh. you are an imposter uh-huh I mean, I think a part of it is also like maintaining like an affect of uh, of detachment and like exclusivity. You know, everyone wants to posture as a celebrity, as someone yeah. out of reach. But um, I didn't pick the readers, by the way. For the, I mean, I'm I'm very happy with the people that are reading, but those were Manny did. I think Scott did it, or Manny did it. Uh huh. Yeah, I don't know if the lineup's even like formalized yet, but uh, but yeah. I, you know, it seems so far away, right? February eleventh uh-huh. doesn't seem that far away. I don't know. I'm just ready for this month to be over. Yeah. Um. Yeah. But yeah, you have uh, you know, your grandfather's condoms. Um. Yeah. You know, I guess m- that one. As far as like, that one's pretty true. Mm-hmm. Oh, really? Um, <laughs> yeah. That's funny. Um, we did have this neighbor, like when I was a kid, you know how there's always like a kid on your block who's like maybe three years older, uh-huh. who's like, he's only cool on the block you know what i mean yeah yeah like at his school like in his grade like he's a fucking loser you know Mm -hmm. but on the block like with kids that are like three years younger he's like the man you know oh yeah um especially if you're like a third grader and like he's like a sixth grader Uh uh-huh um and there was this kid like that on our block but um this is what i always do like it's kind of just like with the guy that ran the rehab like (laughs) there was a guy like that on our block but you know what he was nothing but kind to me (laughs) Uh and and he never called me a faggot he Mm -hmm. never you know Uh he's never trying to like do anything perverse right I don't, I think I I always do this in my stories where um, whoever is like the devil in the story, Mm -hmm. uh, 
is generally like the inverse of like the actual person that I knew in reality. Oh, interesting. I don't know. I don't know why I tend to do that, but hmm. like if you're kind to me in real life, I will, you know, portray you as is you know the opposite is predatory and well that's you know, a novel uh that's a novel approach because you know i i think that makes the 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 devils more uh three-dimensional i think i hate anyone who loves me uh-huh. is what the situation is um i'm if you're if you're good to me you know i will want to destroy you <laughs> <laughs> Well, it makes your uh, your villains more three-dimensional. But also, I feel like to some extent, Steve is, you know, in that story, in my grandfather's condoms, it's he's more like a, a force of nature, uh, you know? He's like, <laughs> whereas the, the actual, like, uh, antagonist in some sense is the grandfather. <laughs> like, he's like the scarier figure. He's like, uh, you know, Steve is just like, you know, he's just trying to get some puss, like, um, but like the grandfather is actually like a much more intolerant and intimidating figure, you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. I mean, he, I mean, he, um, <laughs> he basically just wields just, you know, a, his power for power's sake. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, I mean, even his grandson is terrified of him. <laughs> uh-huh. And he's like a really interesting figure too, like this, uh, like Oklahoma, like, you know, oil. He's a big, he's a big city evangelical. Yeah. And, uh, and he has like these like business trips to Spain where he collects these artifacts that are very much like uh, incongruous with like the provincial quality of like the hometown. Um, well, he pretends to be Catholic. Yeah, yeah. He mentioned that that he, uh, you know, on his business trips, he might even pose as Catholic. But um, <laughs> I mean, one thing that's uh, so I wanted to ask about in particular, and this is throughout a lot of your work that I've read, that um, there is a very strong like evangelical influence, like uh, you know, in different yeah. forms. You know, this story juxtaposes um the kind of like Pentecostal leaning, like folksy, uh, um, expressive, uh, um. Uh, Protestantism of Steve and of grandmother against like the much more like big city like uh, what you know uh, something that I feel is more relatable since I come from a a Methodist background like a Pennsylvania Methodist Pennsylvania Dutch Methodist um, uh, you know very normal like not stiff in the sense of like being like you know yeah you're like an NPR Christian uh, not quite because it's not like like you know like you know, my dad's family are very um, evangelical. Not exactly that. No, like very mainline, but um, like m- definitely conservative leaning, not like super stiff, but like very, uh, you know, proper, like, you know, not a lot of. Are they real believers? Um, I think so. You know, who knows what's in someone's soul, but, um, you know, they but like, that's the thing. They won't talk about uh unpleasant realities a lot i feel like you know they they i think that there would be some acknowledgement of the devil if you were to ask them but like that's not like you know everything's kind of focused on being like nice and you know just friendly and presentable and um nothing too extreme very temperate you know that's like the spirit of methodism that i'm uh that i was 
raised in was like a very temperate kind of fate you know my you know my dad's family barbecues like uh, what's that it's like kind of country club suburban no no because like they're you know um i mean like i don't want to you know come out off like a snob but like you know they'll, they'll also like talk with their mouths full and like like uh you know be very loud and uh but like they know class people on uh, no like farmers that like did well for themselves and you know bought oh. like nice tractors like that's kind of a it's a really hard uh milieu to kind of describe to people because it's not like it's not like hick you know in the sense of like you know shotguns and trailers it's not like, like aristocrats kind of they're like landowners i guess it's like it's a very i guess it's a very like german scots irish kind of uh mm-hmm. like mentality like you know they'll have like big barbecues and like nobody there's no adult beverages like and they're not like teetotalers per se like they're not like morally offended by alcohol but like it's just like not part of the culture you know um and same with like rule rule like um rural pennsylvania yeah um not like totally but ruling class ruling class people they're the employer it sounds like if they own all the land uh-huh yeah definitely uh, uh you know perhaps and they're in, buying the equipment they're keeping things in business yeah in the area you could say you could definitely say that definitely um you know not not surfs by any means but um yeah. you know and like i know that my my dad's um like family from virginia my paternal grandfather's family is different they're like from uh rural like uh western virginia like uh very like uh southern baptist what's that yeah 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 and so like the you know the the um what's it like the culture like the southern baptist culture is very different it's a lot more expressive a lot more like dour but also like uh intense uh, you know but like those intense feelings are not like part of uh the methodist church that i was baptized in or like really like not farmers or shepherds you think yeah yeah that's a good way to think about it um they're probably from like a shepherd class in mm -hmm. uh scotland or ireland or england yeah yeah that makes total sense but yeah uh, sorry to call that uh, culture, culture of honor uh-huh sorry to digress so much but... honor, right because they don't yeah, so um, you know, in the in my grandfather's condoms, you kind of uh, juxtapose like that the what I what was more relatable to me, like the Oklahoma like classy or like you know aspiring to be like worldly and sophisticated, but also like a big city evangelical, like very uh, uh, culturally averse to um, charismatic worship against like uh, you know I the more, yeah against like the, the more like white trash, like Pentecostalism of your grandmother. But these evangelical yeah. themes seem like very uh, common throughout your work. I mean, um, yeah, of course, like, uh, you know, the lo- uh, loss of the father. I'm from an evangelical family. I mean, my uh-huh. my mother's, my mother is not an evangelical, but mm-hmm. um, she was raised by, even my grandparents are evangelicals and, um, my uh i grew up with my grandparents you know is in my life mm-hmm. you know, they lived down the street from us and mm-hmm. uh they're evangelicals um like so how I you... Up, you know in that world 
How would you characterize like the continuing influence of evangelicalism on your work? Because it seems to be something that comes up a lot. Like, I mean, what is the impact of it? Is it like a kind of fading a little bit? Uh huh. Yeah, I noticed that in the most recent piece that I read. But like, is it just like a kind of cultural reference point or like a vocabulary, like a moral vocabulary that you know? that resonates or is it just, do you just find it like interesting from a literary perspective or? Um, I guess I, uh, I don't know, there's just a lot there. I mean, mm -hmm. and it's something that you can never shake Mm -hmm. Like, uh, if you grew up evangelical, um, my dad's family wasn't evangelical, but, mm -hmm. um, my father's was, and, you know, you never get, you know, the, if you grow, if you're a little kid and people are talking about hell all the time and about how the end of the world is going to come any day now, and thank goodness for that, you know, because all these sinners and, mm -hmm you know, Democrats or whatever are going to be crushed and by, you know, what, if you grow up, if you grow up with that, like, it's hard to, you know, it's always in your mind. I mean, that the world might end or, you know, um, mm -hmm. that if you're not saved, properly saved that, and I'm not talking about saved in a Catholic way. Mm -hmm. Um, that would be definitely you're going straight to hell. Mm -hmm. um, if you're not properly saved, you know, you're going to you're going to be in hell for the rest for eternity. So, you know, it's mm -hmm. a pretty big deal. I um, yeah, well, there's a moment in, in my grandfather's condoms that to me, like reads like almost a parody of like the idea of grace when uh, when Steve is, you know, instructed to start reading the Bible and he, you know, the grandmother discovered that he's been lusting after, like, uh, discovers that that he goes to not only does he go to church, but he can speak in tongues. He has the gift of, uh, you know, the gifts of the apostles, and so, and then immediately, like, as soon as like the, the as soon as she leaves the room on the prompting of grandfather, um, he it goes straight. You know, his mind's like straight back on the mission. Um, I mean, it, uh, this stuff is so complicated. Like, I think that there are a lot of good things about raising your kids, um, from the Bible, you know, mm -hmm. or with a foundation that's not worldly, that's, mm -hmm. that's fixed, right? Uh-huh. Um, because I do think that we're lost, you know, without mm -hmm. any kind of grounding, uh, spiritual grounding. Mm -hmm. But, you know, how people are like, they'll find the one part of it that's like, totally like fear based and, and, and terrifying. And they'll like, just want to talk about that all the time and, and, and try to get their kids to like, you know, mm -hmm. keep their kids up all night, you know, with nightmares of, of, you know, 
the end times and of mm-hmm. executions in the street and well you know i didn't grow up with uh in a very like particularly religious family my you know yeah my parents would go to church on and off kind of uh but it wasn't really like a huge part of our lives but uh so you know the 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 fire and brimstone like really just like was not a part of my uh upbringing but i wonder like do you think that is it what is it then is it like sadism or is it a power play or is it based on fear you know uh or even like a misguided love to to try to you know keep your kids awake at night that way i you know i think that it's um i assume that people are acting in good faith you know right they're just trying to you know it's there's an enormous gravity to the situation i mean but some people, it it takes on this just obsessive quality where it's, you know, constant, you know, like we have to get water, you know, we have to, you know, be ready. We have to be armed. Um, the Jews are across the street. The uh-huh. Catholics are next door. You know, we're uh-huh. surrounded on all sides, you know? Uh-huh. Um, we uh you know we have to put on our armor every day Uh we have to be ready to fight yet at the same time we have to be completely loving and kind to everyone and show you know set a good example Mm -hmm. Uh, are you testifying you know i remember my grandmother would always be like are you testifying at school that's why you go to school is to spread the word, right? Right. You need to be telling other students about Jesus Christ. Mm-hmm. That's the only reason, you know, to go. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, I wasn't. You know, I mean, who uh-huh. would? Do, I mean, it's crazy, right? I mean, uh-huh. I, you know, I don't know. I, I mean, be, I want to be cool. You know, I want to like. Uh-huh. I don't want to talk to people about Jesus at school. So then I would be filled with, you know, shame about that that I wasn't completing my mission um, or whatever. Mm -hmm. So like every day it would be like, I remember before school, I would be like, you're going to be good today. You know, like Uh you're going to be an example. You're going to tell people about Christ. You're going to help people. You're going to save people because Mm -hmm. you never know when the end's going to come. And then I would be like, a second later, I would be, you know, with my boys or whatever, you know, and all that would be out the window. Right. And then you get at night, I would be, you know, up half the night praying, asking for God's forgiveness. And this is like a 10 year old. Uh huh. I mean, yeah, I think that that uh, I don't know, like. That, that seems like something that I notice um, and that I gravitate towards in your work is like th- that feeling of conflict between like the, like, you know, the ideal self and like the ideal Christian um, or even like, you know, the, the sober, uh, the sober person, uh, you know, kind of being the, the stand in for that in some stories, but that there's like the spiritual aspect about, like brokenness and like constantly like making compromises and like uh uh you know bargains uh in your moral life well that's the great thing about being an evangelical too ultimately is that uh-huh. um as long as you have jesus in your heart you can do whatever the fuck you want you know? <laughs> right you're going, yeah 
Uh huh. Um, that's why it's such a great. That's why it's so successful, right? Uh huh. Well, it's interesting because it's like so stern, and you know, uh, one might say like it can be so puritanical and like um, yeah, uh, uh, strict and authoritarian, right? But like at the same time, there's like this antinomian aspect to it where um, because because you're saved by faith alone, um, you know, you can faith alone. You can uh, like you know, your witness, can, it, it exists in this liminal space where, um, the, you know, you can't know the contents of one's soul. So, you know, you could be doing lines from a hooker's cleavage and, you know, uh, and still yeah. be elected in, you know, in concept. I know that, you know, a, a, a sophisticated evangelical theologian would have an explanation for that right i don't want to be un- uncharitable um because i i do actually i i respect uh evangelicalism uh you know i i'm not interested in like doing the catholic thing of especially the catholic convert thing of gratuitously like uh counter signaling or you know going ballistic on <laughs> protestantism uh but it, it does seem to be a kind of an incongruity that's that takes a lot of uh it takes a lot of reasoning to resolve yeah um i don't know yeah and i think that's an interesting that'll make a good transition to um your your story the loss of the father which uh which i know to be 100 percent based in reality um where uh you know you you kind of uh rather than being inwardly direct i mean it starts off like very typical of uh what i've read from you that uh you know that that it's about your strained relationship with your father and um or the narrator's strained relationship with his father rather and um and you know just being really horny at the funeral um you know trying to figure out who they can score with um and then the perspective totally shifts and it it actually becomes about pastor nate uh your uncle i believe right yeah the the narrator's uncle and uh and his uh his sexual encounter as as the bull of uh of president you know the 43rd president of the united states george walker bush um which and it's hilarious i mean i just the way you know how i wrote that story was i it was like two summers ago uh-huh. and I was I have I keep tons of notes and I have just tons of notebooks and when I run out of ideas I just go into my notebooks right uh-huh. and there was some stuff about the president I didn't remember <laughs> writing it but about George Bush and um but then the I, you know, I wrote that story straight through, though, after that, like, I think in a couple hours, mm-hmm. and um, I tried to, like, I was like, okay, this is your thing now, like, you do these presidential stories, you know, <laughs> and and I have kind of a Trump story, uh-huh. but Trump's not actually in it. It's more about, uh-huh. like, the election, and... Oh, um, interesting. But I was going to do a whole thing, I'm like, okay, finally, like... <laughs> This will be you how found you your niche, it, you know. Yeah, like, like as a, a short story collection of like right? fan yeah. fictions about the presidents of the United States. I, I mean, part of what makes it so special to me. Modern presidents. 
Like, I think it's really a masterstroke to focus on George Bush in particular, though, because, um, I mean, he was like an object of ridicule in his time, you know, like, uh, and was like widely mocked, but he's kind of been forgotten and like marginalized, as you would expect for, you know, someone from like his era. But like, just, a, a, you know, I think that Trump kind of like stole a lot of that thunder, you know, but the difference being that, like, I mean, Trump is you know kind of telling a joke on some level he's always like he's like a funny guy like outright whereas like george bush is like a very different type of figure like he really is um i don't know like he's like a true ass clown like um and so he's like, also like deep state like in the blood right um, right and like Trump isn't I mean, it reminded me, um, uh, to use a lowbrow example, like it reminded me of uh, Harold and Kumar Escape Guantanamo Bay. Have you seen the that film? Um, oh, that good? Uh, yeah, I love I love this. I don't know if they hold up as well as I remember, but I loved uh, the Harold and Kumar, especially the first two of the Harold and Kumar franchise. But I remember like they uh, have to, like emergency evacuate a plane or something because they're talking about their bong, but everyone thinks it's a bomb. And, you know, Cal Penn is Indian. So, you know, that has a certain it doesn't go over yeah. so well on the plane. But um you know, they they crash land at George W. Bush's ranch and he's like smoking weed and talking oh, really? about how his dad never. Yeah, no, it's funny. I mean, yeah, he's like a character in the movie. Um, and I, I thought that was the funniest part was, um, yeah, just like he's like smoking weed and saying all his like Bushisms and talking about how his dad never wanted him to be president. Uh, you know, it's a it's a pathetic. George W. smoking weed. Yeah. <laughs> Of course. I mean, because that's like the funny, like it's the most obvious joke, right? On some level, like, oh, like the president, like, you know, it's a stoner comedy. He's like the widely mocked president at the time, like, and the president kind of talks like a stoner. <laughs> and uh, I you know. like him. I like so many things about George W. Bush. <laughs> I, I mean, you really get his way of speaking like perfect. And also just like the way he's characterized, like he has like this I don't know. He comes across like a, a high school football player, like without a particularly overly active internal monologue. But at the same time, he's like has like this, you know, CD and somewhat pathetic fetish that he's um, it, that he's obsessed with. Like, I, th I feel like it kind of gets into like the it of like the high school football jock, you know, or like this like frat boy that doesn't really like uh, think about well, anything. It's 9-11, you know, 9-11 fucked up his sex life. <laughs> uh, right. that's right. why he wants to watch his wife get fucked because uh, you know ever since the towers fell he hasn't quite mm -hmm. he doesn't want his wife like he had before um uh -huh. but uh <laughs> yeah that's a good story i mean and no one's published that one either so it's I, really uh, long. You know, it's kind of yeah. long to be like in a journal. Right. Yeah. No, I get it's that. It's almost I, like a novella. Are you uh are are you fond of uh Terror House Press? Um, you know, I I certainly enjoyed that event. Uh-huh. And um I really I really like that guy who read from South Carolina or from Georgia. Yeah, yeah. Um, I'm drawing a blank on his name right now, but um, he's also known as the right wing English teacher, right? On YouTube, have you ever seen his videos uh, before? No, no, I didn't know that he was a YouTuber. Yeah, but um, he was like the long haired guy, right? 
I think he's bald. Oh no, okay. It wasn't um he's real tall. He was his story was about being wanting to be a priest. Oh, that was Andy Nowicki, right? Yeah, that guy. Yeah. Oh yeah. No, I mean he's like an old head. Like uh he's been he wrote uh, a book under the Nile was this book. Yeah, I haven't I haven't read his book, but um no, I liked his story too. Um I thought it was really uh it was really funny and um but he's like an old head. He's been in uh I mean he was kind of like an early alt-right guy, but um I thought it was very poignant in his story. For sure. No, I, I remember that being one of the standouts for me too. Um but yeah, no, that was I think an amazing evening. Oh, I'm glad. I'm glad that was uh, it was special. And, uh, you know, I'm a big, uh, big uh, Matt Forney defender. I think he's, a, you know, just like he's a great writer. Like he has like a great like self-deprecating poetic imagination. Um, and, uh, you know, he's a very he's a very strange man. But uh, but he I also stayed with him in Guadalajara for a couple weeks uh, last month or like so. Um, yeah, I remember hearing about this. Yeah, no, he's you know, like, what I, you know what I liked about the reading was because I want to take back what I said before about about readings in general. There are a lot of great there are a lot of great writers who suck at reading, and <laughs> that's uh-huh. fine. I mean, it is for a lot of people. It's a a lot of people that are into writing are introverts, and they don't. I mean, they're they're into writing for that very reason, right? Mm-hmm they are right. introvert right like you have to express yourself like uh and they're you know. not you know like just anxious to like be heard in like every conversation you know they don't want to they don't want to be on stage mm-hmm. but they still have something to say uh-huh. and um so then a lot of times people like that end up writing right amazing books right because they right. actually that's their only outlet and mm-hmm. Then they go and they read like at a bookstore or something and they suck. Right. Uh-huh. But that's fine because that's not their thing. Like, like they're not writing tr- to be, to be, to read aloud uh-huh. writing for the page. Right. I mean, I'm very like uh particular about the form where, you know, I try and I haven't always succeeded. I'm just trying to like go back and like, and, 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 and reverse what I said before. Cause I, 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 I have a, sense. Okay. But um, no, I mean, I've always tried to be like very particular about the form. And if I, you know, if I'm doing a reading to like try to treat it as like performance art and try to adapt whatever I have to be like a totally different medium, uh, you know, that's why, uh, you know, at Angel Fest, I did the stunt and it's a gimmick, but like of like lighting a copy of my book on fire, you know, it's just like, yeah. it's about like the ephemerality of the moment and like doing something that couldn't be achieved on the page, uh, which, you know, but, um, you know, I, I was there for that. Oh, really? I don't think I knew you at the time. No, I don't think so. You don't strike me as an introvert, really. No, I'm not. But I'm just saying that some people suck right. at doing readings and they're great. They're the, some of the best writers, you know? Yeah, no, for sure. Um, I don't know. Like the readings, I feel like they have like a particular place in the culture. I feel guilty because I don't know why whenever I'm at one, something just like comes over me and... I cannot focus on anything, you know, my mind just wanders a million places. And so it can be very hard to pay the active attention that I would like to. But um, Well, then you have these fuckers who are like professional readers, right? uh Who like, they read at like every goddamn event that you'll ever attend in New York City. They're guaranteed to be on the bill. Uh Uh-huh. And they're too good, right? I don't know about that. 
I mean, I've experienced this. They're too good. Like they're too. Like polished. it feels like too right. right. Yeah. Too rehearsed. Hmm. And I, I just it makes me doubt. I just I don't believe. I think they're full of shit. Like they're writing. I don't I don't buy it. Like it just seems, it gets meant. To, they're putting on airs. It's too performative. Um, hmm. I don't know. I mean, I try to view it as like a, a genre of performance art. So I don't take like a, a you know, a certain polish or like preparedness as, um, as a sign of disingenuousness. You know, I think that it's, you know, just a way of like trying to communicate uh, the idea as effectively as possible. And like, you know, to be rehearsing to like, you know, to put that effort in, like, I don't know, I, I, generally admire it. I kind of get what you're, I mean, there are some people that like do the same thing and it gets played out, but, um, it's uh, but like uh, at the end of the day, like if you're doing a reading, you're totally at the mercy of uh of the environment, of the crowd, of like the venue, the PA setup. Um, you know, there's a uh, there are situations where I, I've been to readings and I'm like the they could not possibly win with this setup. Like um, you know, one of the NPCC events last summer where you know the it was in the skate park and the acoustics were horrible. The crowd wanted to you know didn't want to pay attention at all. Um, and that was really uh you know I I couldn't I, I did not envy the position of the people that were invited to read there because it it was it was a struggle even for people that would be very that were very successful in other contexts, you know, um, it, just to like get the audience's attention. I mean, it was a struggle at Angel Fest to get the audience's attention, but at least like there was more, like uh, there was more engagement there. It seemed um, I was great. I don't know. Were you at FedFest? Uh-huh. I felt like that was like perfect for me because um, I was just like so grateful for how, um, everyone seemed so interested and even if they were like being really uh nasty or like heckling or whatever or, like booing or throwing cans they, they were engaged yeah like they were they actually were listening yeah. like it wasn't like you had to like fight for uh for their attention so yeah the I was, worst is just indifference right right yeah. yeah no like you know they just want to like talk about like where they're going to get their ketamine from or whatever like um and uh you know so i don't know like i'm I have a certain disillusionment with like the the fashionable people, you know, I much prefer I much prefer reading to an audience of like proud boys and like uh barely yeah. reformed groipers. Um Yeah, that was a great night. Uh-huh. Um and I think that the Terror House event had some of that energy too. Like people were really there to appreciate the art, so Well, yeah, the crowd was definitely, I mean everyone was like totally bought in i mean uh -huh. and uh no one was there just to like you know say they were there right 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 <laughs> like, yeah they were there to be, they were there to actually be there it's like yeah you can like take away like the cool factor to some extent uh but not that Terror House isn't cool, but, um, you know, it's not like uh, trafficking in like Dime Square Cloud, the same as some of the other events are. And it, sorry, to, to get away from like this kind of like uh, insider baseball, beautiful toilet review of party stuff. Uh, um, you know, uh, I, I just mentioned Terror House because I thought that that would be very much uh, up their alley, like the the um, the loss of the father would be uh, very much uh, appreciated within that 
within that publication. I, I think it would find a very attentive audience there. But uh, you know, nonetheless, uh, I guess to uh, uh, move on from that, I also wanted to talk about your most recent publication, Eager to Help, which seems to mark like a kind of shift uh, from like what I've read previously, where um, Well, this sees you like address uh, most explicitly like the literary scene, right? Um, and like it, it gets much more meta than the other ones that I've read. Uh, I wanted to I, I see. I wanted to single out a particular passage where you sit. You know, you say okay. all level-headed writers from my Columbia University MFA program were pitching and selling their novels by shrewdly commodifying some marginalized aspect of their identity or life experience, and brilliantly hitching it to some timely and pressing cause. Examples of causes, identities, and life experiences that sell. A blue-collar, hard-scrabble upbringing, being from Oklahoma, being gay, being mistreated by a man, being adopted, being non-white, being white, being Asian, climate migration, having a body that somehow feels intrusive thanks to an oppressive system, having inadequate health care, being debt-ridden, having a parent who committed suicide, embodying the SoundCloud rap persona while applying to grad schools, defiantly not living in New York or LA, dating a passive-aggressive man from Staten Island, briefly working at Walmart, delivering food for an app. And of course they knew how to frame it. And uh, like, I, I don't know, I feel like that comes, you know, that speaks to your heart that you don't want to like play the game of uh, packaging and selling like uh, an identity so much as a vision, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah, you really have to, um, I guess, find find some some like cause, right? Um, mm -hmm. That your 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 book is supposedly, you know, um, bringing to light. Mm -hmm. or addressing um that's you know some kind of you know just like libtard type thing mm -hmm. and um and i mean outside of whether or not those are like legitimate or worthy causes i mean it um and and I you know I I think I think in some a lot of ways some of them are are things that that matter you know mm -hmm. um, and are important but in order for like I mean oftentimes I think that these a lot of in order to really get a book going you have to get it reviewed and. If it's not going to be, if it doesn't have any kind of, you know, um, if it's not paying homage to something in the social justice sphere in some way, uh -huh. it's it's not going to get reviewed because um, mm -hmm. it's not going to be considered important or something. Um, right. And then I know a lot of writers who have, you know, they they they're not social justice people. They're not like 
but they've they've gotten agents and editors and they've been able to like you know spin it in some way and then pitch it or then even it will be like even reverse right it'll be like not that and right. that'll be like the the um you know on ramp right yeah no even if you don't want to play that game you're still kind of implicitly playing into it right uh, yeah but it's like how do you not but if something is so prevalent in the culture which it is it, it it's hard to completely ignore it you know uh-huh. um because that's the other thing that's annoying are, are that books that that pretend like 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 the protagonist I mean, assuming they live in the modern culture like that they're completely oblivious to these things um or they don't exist in this world at all mm-hmm. um i mean i'm not um i i've definitely gone through like i go through phases where i feel like i'm ideological in certain ways um right and left ways Mm-hmm. And I can never really stick with any of them for too long. Um, right. I never like people will be like, oh, like, like deep state type stuff, you know, or like the fucking federal government or, you know, mm-hmm. they're like a bunch of communists or like whatever they're up to in D.C. Uh-huh. and all this swamp. And then it's like. Okay, great. You know, oh, no, I find um, it really refreshing that that stuff doesn't interest you as much. Um, but then, but then on the other hand, like, like I do see there. Obviously, there's a lot of evil there. There's a lot of evil uh, in you know, all organizations. I mean, um, I just feel like, like, I mean, you it, more than just like ideology, though. There's also this aspect of like an identity novel, right, or like identity writing. And I mean, you could like, you know, plausibly be grouped into like an identity category. You could say this is like addiction writing or like it falls into the genre of like writing about like, uh, you know, white men and like their sexual, like, you know, their kind of port noise complaints. And um, like, uh, uh, I haven't, uh, I I was just uh, recommended it by a friend in Guadalajara, a friend of Matt Forney, but I haven't gotten around to it yet. But, um, but just like the concept, you know, um, more than that, like, uh, you know, it's about like these universal experiences on some level that it's not about addiction per se or, um, or, you know, being a white man even, or, you know, being like a struggling writer, it's always, it it always speaks to something more universal. Would you agree with that? Yeah. I mean, I guess, you know, like concepts of like identity or like theory or whatever, like, I mean, this goes without saying, but like, um, they don't mean much like in the reality, right? In the present moment when you're talking with people. Um, So... But why would they mean much, you know, like in in the moment when you're writing, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, I I guess I when people are like emotional, 
or have like emotions about identity, about like concepts of identity, or like emotional about like social theory mm-hmm. on, you know, all sides. Um, I I think their emotions are like misdirected, you know? I don't think right. they really have much to do with with um with either. And uh I guess when you know, when you're writing you're basically like kind of like following emotional energy, you know? That's what I'm doing, following emotional energy and having it take me where it where it takes me. And I mean, I know if I'm, if the emotional energy, if it's hot, you know, like I know I'm in the right place. And I don't always get to pick that place. Right. Well, I envy you for how uh, prolific you are and how effortless this seems. I mean, I know that it's a lot of hard work, but like just, uh, um, I don't know. I always struggle with stories, you know, writing Hitler's genders. Like that was like the first short story I've ever really written. And it took me like how long to, you know, to 25 years to come up with it. And now uh, I hope it doesn't take that long to have for the muse to visit me again. But that was um, like, to me, like prose fiction is always so fucking hard. It's poetry is kind of much more effortless, but I don't find it as impressive as like a taught, like well-constructed short story, like, um, like loss of the father, you know? Yeah. Um, it, um, maybe cause I got started with stories, like mm-hmm. it's always been like an easier, I mean, I've never like, I mean, I never like wrote for like my school paper or anything, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, or I was never a good student. Like, I mean, it's funny, I'm a teacher now, but you know, I'm really uh-huh. not any good at like writing papers. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, I started writing stories and people, you know, people liked them and said I was good at it. So mm-hmm. I just kept doing it because I wanted to be praised. Well, you know, it's um for me like the hardest part is like just having the concept like having a premise that's interesting and like worth building off of like you know i don't know how you come up with these ideas (laughs) i mean i know that it you know it draws from experience and it draws from just like imagination to some extent but but that's always been very challenging for me so it you know whenever i whenever i see it in practice it feels like magic like a, a good short story, like like yours, or um, or just like uh, prose fiction in general, like Paul Town and um, and Jeff Johnson and um, and uh, um, Reality Gamer, like you know, good like somewhat lighthearted, but like interesting and like gripping short like stories like that. I it, it feels like sorcery. Hey, I mean, if you hang out in a coffee shop long enough, you know, uh-huh. got to come up with something, you know. Um, uh-huh. I write, I mean, I I usually write in a coffee shop, but this coffee shop I go to is like, there's nowhere to sit ever. It's fucking packed all the time. And 
don't know if it's because of COVID. I mean, it's because of COVID. But, like, I'm just, like, I mean, obviously, I don't want to get COVID. Mm-hmm. But I also don't want to get the flu, you know? Yeah. And I don't want to get a cold either. And, uh-huh. I mean, I'll socialize with people. I mean, I'll go to any party I'm invited to or out to dinner or whatever. But I don't want to get a fucking cold just, like, from some fucking, you know, 16-year-old. Hmm. sitting next to me playing you whatever you know candy crush you know uh-huh. like by choice you know what i'm saying oh like, my strategy is to inoculate myself with all the germs you know to try to live uh i mean i'm I, you know i like to be clean i like to I mean, maybe that's better you know to fully just you know i very seldom get bad. sick what I, I very seldom get sick so i think it works i think that uh you know, just like drinking a beer that you find half finished on the street or whatever. You know, I mean, of course, you smell it for piss first, but I mean, I know you don't drink, but like in you know, in concept, like uh, you know, just trying to uh, expose yourself to all the germs. That's uh, that's been the method that works for me. And uh, oh, what's that? It's not like peer-reviewed science. Like you know, this is like doctors don't recommend it. I don't know. I mean, every time they say like don't like self-medicate or like don't like you know, do medicine on yourself. You need a doctor. Every time I've disobeyed that advice, I got phenomenal results. So. (laughs) But I, I do write, I do, I can get some stuff done in a coffee shop. I feel like more than, cause just being in a coffee shop, I just feel so gay already. Right. Mm -hmm. With all the other posers, Mm -hmm. all the other fucking Brooklyn ass, half people in there are like, trying to be you know some version of what i'm trying to be and um yeah but like 90 percent of those half like don't seem to create anything you know i mean i kind of like implicate myself in this too and i know you say that you, that's why uh, I feel, you were I feel like that in your younger years too right i feel a lot of pressure to to work uh-huh. because i don't i don't want people to see me in the coffee shop like on youtube you know or like mm-hmm. I mean, I almost admire these fuckers who like they'll go to a coffee shop and just like stream stuff, you know? Oof. No, it couldn't be like, me. I, I mean, I, I like watching. it is me. Like I, I, I could very easily fall into that, you know. But I don't go to. Co- I mean, there's only At one a coffee, coffee shop. shop wouldn't you be embarrassed? Extremely, but it's like you know the, the the the. No, it is embarrassing, but like on some level, like I just get. I'm very easily distracted. Um, and also to like, I really only have one coffee shop in my neighborhood, and it seems like a front for the Russian mafia. So. <laughs> Uh, I, it, it's a very unwelcoming environment. I used to go there to try to get my work done on like a marble table that's too low and a sofa. Um, but yeah, it would just be like like sixty year old Russian mafiosos. It seemed uh, uh, going there and hanging out all day. So I w- it wasn't really like a standard like coffee shop environment. Yeah. But um, well, I'm glad that that's uh, you know that you have a method that works for you. I'm I'm still trying to figure it out because I don't want to be one of these people that's like an artist that doesn't create anything. I always admire people that uh, um, that that have that burning like desire to create. Like they have to get something off their chest. Like you know, like Stained Haynes, I think has that. Um, you know, he's just like an extremely prolific artist uh, who has like magazines and a podcast and like culture jamming flyers, whatever. Um, Pill Eater. Uh, he has, a, I don't know if it's still up, but yeah, he would do like live streams with uh, in the Luchador mask. Um, uh, you know, Pill Eater, despite our intermittent differences, despite uh, 
despite you know having a strong personality has like this very uh obsessive need to like create and write and put things out there and some of it's quite good um so yeah i mean i um if i don't do something with my day in the way of writing like <laughs> I just like fucking, I just am, I want to die, you know? Like, mm -hmm. I don't really, like, it's too hard. It's too hard not to mm. um, for me. And But you uh, said you have done that in the past, that you've, you know. In my 20s. Right. I didn't write at all. Do you think that the, the alcohol, like, numbs you to, like, that feeling of um, urgency or, like, that feeling of uh, self-loathing if you... If well, yeah, you can always get anything. drunk. I mean, you yeah. can always get drunk and then you don't feel, you feel differently then. Yeah. Um, or like, you don't feel regret mm -hmm. much. Um, right. But. Um, Note to self. I mean, I'm like always at war with like the internet. Right. Like trying to stay off of it i mean uh -huh. i use all these apps to block the internet oh like wow this freedom app and have you heard of that freedom no it's like this I, app I, I intermittently like weigh the concept of getting a flip phone sorry i didn't mean to cut you off well it blocks the it blocks the internet on your computer oh cool and then i i'll yeah, take I my phone and i'll i'll put it in my car or i'll like put it in the basement of my apartment building. I'll put it somewhere mm -hmm. like ridiculous. Mm -hmm. And then I'll just, I'll have no choice. You know, like I don't have any other, um, I can't get on the internet. Um, right. I mean, there's nothing on the fucking internet anyway. Yeah. There's nothing on there. Well, what do you mean by that? There's a lot of content, like. What? I mean, what? I'm not going to. I, there's nothing for me on there. Uh -huh. I'll tell you that much. Yeah. What, like YouTube? I mean, I, I can't watch movies. Like, I mean, my right. wife always wants to watch a fucking movie like every night, you know? So that's like one movie a day. Oh, that's nice. So I can't do any more than that. I mean, mm -hmm. I'm not a cinephile. What's the most recent movie you watched? Um, In the Heat of the Night. I haven't heard of it. Sydney Portier. It's a pretty good movie. Oh, that's cool. Um, but uh, so like that's a movie, you know. Like she wants to watch a movie at night. Like, I'm not gonna read stories like on some online journal. Like, I don't. I just. I mean, if I have a friend mm -hmm. who has a someone I know who has a story like on expat, mm -hmm. I'll usually read it or I'll try mm -hmm. to read it. Um. So, but what the fuck is on there? I don't what articles about what like theory or some shit yeah or about, about like socialism or whatever news or about how like socialism is like a cancer or about how socialism is the answer or you know <laughs> i know you know i i like you know i i'm familiar with curtis yarvin you know like i know uh -huh. about the elves and the uh -huh. hobbits and stuff i mean uh -huh. it's fascinating believe me material uh -huh. and i find him endlessly amusing 
Yeah. But, you know, I can only listen to one three hour podcast of Curtis Yarden, you know? Right. That makes sense. Like, I got a I got a life to live, you know? I'm glad you have that, like, built-in level of resistance to it because I feel like, uh, I feel like at times, like, I could really just, like, constantly, like, be pacified by the content. Well, I don't know. It's right? embarrassing to admit, but but I feel like, uh, you know, that's a blessing that you get tired of it. I mean, I could go back to it. Don't get me wrong. I mean, hearing about the elves and the hobbits and, you know, uh-huh. dark elves and, you know, he's uh-huh. a dark elf and... Uh-huh. I guess we're kind of dark elves, right? Um, I guess so. I don't know. I mean, like he seems to have like a very peculiar notion about me. I mean, I was uh, I was staying with him last uh, last month um, in the Bay Area, and he's just like, oh, like we need, to, you know, we're trying to get more Dime Square people like Nick to come to the Bay Area, and I'm like, that's where he lives, San Francisco. Uh, yeah, he, he, not San Francisco proper. I probably shouldn't. I mean, I know it's not like totally doxing he's probably said it but i don't want to you know give away too much i um, I thought he lived in la yeah i think i left my copy of uh poor noise complaint complaint at his house actually but the aforementioned um how did you like the bay area though i was surprised by how much i liked it i really really was expecting to hate it i was expecting like the hobo poo apocalypse and passive aggressive uh you I've know hardly cro- spent any time there coronavirus caliphate but it was actually like i don't know very i had a great Did experience you spend time there before no never never been oh. i went swimming in pacifica um with uh with some friends with a what fellow were you in Marin county uh no i was i was uh hanging out a lot in berkeley and then in san francisco proper and uh and and uh what's it what's that t- palo alto right that's where stanford oh, is Stanford is. Yeah. yeah so i split my time among like those like uh between pacifica san francisco berkeley and palo alto hmm. um, yeah i mean i feel like it's a it's like its own country you know mm-hmm. do you, know you know do you feel more of an affinity for New York or for Los Angeles since they've both been, I don't know how long you've been here or how long you were there, but, uh, or which one feels native? Well, to I you? lived here, I've lived here for about maybe seven years. And then uh-huh. I lived in, in, uh, in LA for about 10 or 11 years. Uh-huh. And, um, you know, I go back and forth, like, I think there is something about all that sunshine that can can make you maybe more prolific uh-huh. or oh interesting induce like more like serotonin and you just radiate kind of in a way um and, I mean, I'm like a huge slut for the sun. Like, uh, you know, I go yeah. to the beach every week. I mean, rain or shine, but but I'm, I'm definitely like a summer person. But um, I don't know. All my friends are in New York. And I do like the temperament that it kind of brings, you know, the brash, but like surprisingly soft and like sentimental um, energy. That's how I would characterize it, at least. I feel like it's like deeply rooted. Um I guess ambitious. I don't, I mean, 
I think it's changed. I mean, I you know, I haven't been back to LA since I left. Uh-huh. I don't travel that much. Uh-huh. But um I still have a lot of good friends there and they most of them seem to come out here, you know, occasionally a couple of times a year. Mm-hmm. So um I miss some things about living there. I don't know. Mm-hmm. I I hate the entertainment industry. Really? The way it just infects everything. And mm-hmm. it's also a lot more commercial, I guess. I don't know. Everyone's trying to like get paid. Uh-huh. In this kind of mainstream way. Right. And kind of trying to game the system. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, I wasn't like in with like a real big literary crowd or anything. I mean, mm-hmm. I knew a lot of musicians there. And I had a couple friends who were writers. But I didn't know a lot of writers. I mean, I came to New York to go to Columbia. That's how I moved here was to mm-hmm. go to graduate school. Uh-huh. to get my MFA. Uh-huh. Um, and I was thinking, I mean, at one point the plan was to go back mm-hmm. after that, back to LA. Mm-hmm. But... Um, no, I just ask because I feel like, um, you know, there's like a New York temperament and an LA temperament and some people will identify with one or the other. Um I was wondering if you felt like any affinity, like, you know, like any personality or spiritual affinity for, for the geography that way. I guess spiritually, I like LA more. Uh huh. I mean, LA is more just like nihilism, you know? <laughs> yeah. It's yeah. I can kind of see that. Right? Yeah. And everything's a grift there, you know? Um, uh-huh. And no one's even trying to pretend like anything matters really Mm -hmm. everyone's like so fucking social justice there but it's like there's no true believers you know Uh it's all like everything is like a overtly like a branding exercise um yeah whereas like here is like all like the serious-minded types you know Uh uh-huh who think they're doing god's work Uh um wherever they are on the spectrum. Right. Um, so I guess, you know, it's more Eastern, I, the West Coast, like it's more Buddhist and it's more like, in that mm-hmm. sense, like amoral. I see. Um, and. Mm-hmm. I was just thinking the way that you were characterizing it like it really does seem like new york is like more spiritual in a sense like that people are grasping for like higher more order theory. truths about it's more spiritual in like a you know logic based sense it's uh-huh. not spiritual in like an ethereal sense in like mm-hmm. a you know mm-hmm. I mean, I'm just like very cynical about like the affect of spirituality, you know, and like the, you know, postures. And I mean, I'm also cynical about Buddhism and, uh, you know, so maybe I'm biased in that respect. But, you know, to me, like New York, 
has much more of a culture of like grasping for higher order truths about like morality and religion in the universe. Um, yeah, everything in LA is just about bliss, you know, right. it's just getting blissed out. Right. It's just like meditating for hours so you can just like feel like mm -hmm. you're tapped into like something. Mm -hmm. um, it, uh, it's satanic, you know, <laughs> I guess. Uh -huh. I'm, I'm well, yeah, I mean, I, th you know, I don't mean to be like too polemical about it, but I feel like there's, uh, you know, in Buddhism, the idea of like emptying yourself out. It's like, I mean, there's like a Christian ideal of, you know, so, like emptying yourself out. But the point is like to be replaced by by grace, by God, you know, um, the idea of like emptying yourself out for the sake of being empty does feel like very like diabolical and uh, and pernicious. But I mean, I don't mean to be overly like moralistic no, about like it. No self. Yeah. I mean, I get it. Like, I get why it's, uh, you know, it can be a useful exercise to like depersonalize or kind of detach from your own subjective reality. I'm not really morally offended at the concept, but but just the idea of like emptying yourself of desire and subjectivity in general i mean there are a lot of aspects of buddhism that are very much you empty yourself out so that you can you can be like a vessel right for other people's pain hmm. so you can you can practice like loving kindness towards other hmm. people mm -hmm. um so you can be absurd. I mean, so it's like, I think there's kind of like a Silicon Valley sort of, um, sort of Buddhism mm -hmm. that's more about, I don't know, uh -huh. what you're referring to, I guess. Yeah. Well, it also does seem to be like very easily instrumentalized. Like I know, uh, uh, Curtis Yarvin talks about this, that if you, um, if you look at uh there's like old like uh, from like imperial japan there are like buddhist texts that are like nirvana is the feeling of your enemy or of your sword penetrating your enemy's heart or whatever it's like like this extremely bellicose uh uh um like fascistic buddhism which i don't think yeah. it, you know we i guess we view that as um it's like a kind of zen buddhism. incongruous but because uh um because it has like this cultural connotation of being a religion of peace and whatever. But um, well, to me, like it's, it's it makes, it makes like totally, like there's something very intuitive to me about like the, the Japanese imperial fascist take on Buddhism, that it actually does seem internally consistent. Um, whatever that case may be. Um, you know, I guess uh, just to circle back to, um, to eager to help, you know, what speaks to me about that most of all is just like the, the grasping, you know, like that, that desperation for an opportunity. I feel like I'm living that now. Like, uh, um, you know, everyone you meet, like you, you, you start to think in these very crass and kind of cynical terms about how they could help you get a leg up. You know, for me, it's like a job. And it's like, not like my interactions with these people aren't sincere on some level, like, you know, but it, you know, there's like this other aspect to it where I'm trying to like brown nose for, uh, so I can just get my house in order. 
Yeah. I mean, we're all doing that, you know, with certain uh -huh. people, uh -huh. right? All the time. We're all trying to get somewhere. Right. I mean, I don't know. It's writing's a tough thing, especially if you want to do it professionally. Uh -huh. I mean, I do this teaching stuff. I mean, I don't really, I like it sometimes, but uh -huh. it is like, I mean, I don't know how good of a teacher I am, but like, I do like to like turn people onto books that I like. Oh, me too. I mean, I was a horrible teacher. You know, I, I tried to, I, I've talked about this in my episode with Scott, my, our experiences teaching at the mosque. And, uh, you know, I was way out of my, out of my pay grade, but, um, but I did try to like share my passions and sometimes it worked, you know, I got one kid to like, uh, the love song of J. Alfred Prufrock um i got the kids hooked on mishima yeah um but most of the time it, it was you know it was a it, not so well received so yeah they don't care yeah well high school is it high school or middle school middle school yeah sixth through eighth graders well that's a tough age i mean i've i've really only done in college and then some high school so middle school would be difficult um mm -hmm. but are we gonna wrap this up yeah are, are you ready yeah i think i'm ready okay cool well thank you so much for coming um yeah i think this is a banger but uh how can people uh how can people reach you, uh, you know, literary agents or uh, Peter Thiel or whoever may be listening? Um, well, um, I, uh, I guess people can always, um, I mean, I don't have like a website or anything. Um, mm -hmm. You know, I'm on Twitter. My name is... Um, I don't even, I always forget what it is. Is um, it Calvin underscore Atwood? No, not anymore. Oh. It's at Tennis Forever 79. Okay. And, or you can email me at Brodus79 at gmail.com. B-R-O-U-D as in David, I, S as in Sam. The number seven, the number nine at gmail.com. Or you can look up my stories on expat, I guess, or Apocalypse Confidential. Mm -hmm. I um I have novels, you know, ready to publish, fully edited, you know. Mm -hmm. I have three. Um so Hey, I appreciate you having me on, Nick. And, uh, you have uh, no idea how much I appreciate it, especially after the snafu last time. But um, but no, I think it's been a really great conversation. And it's just what I needed to kind of get this thing back into gear and try to be a more productive creator. So I'm internally in, 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 your, uh, in your gratitude for that. And I hope uh, I hope in some small way I can contribute to your to your ascent as 
one of uh one of the leading literary voices of our times and I, I don't offer compliments as favors you know i don't flatter you like um thank you nick nick that means a lot to me it really does oh of course I'm i don't glad. people don't say those things to me very often to be honest really well i mean you know not that often so thank you so much <laughs>